clubhouse. Welcome back to another episode of Pod Clubhouse's continuing coverage of NBC's This Is Us. This is for Season 6, Episodes 13 and 14, The Day of the Wedding and The Night Before the Wedding. As promised, we would group together episodes that seem to match up, and definitely these two go together. This is Paul. This is Caroline. I think that Randall's story is done. Yeah, we get to still see him. And he gets to be senator, as we've seen in this episode. But in terms of, like, new shit or Deja's going to show up and be like, I'm having triplets or some shit. (laughs) It's not happening. He's done. So they needed to get the other kids done, right? So this wedding is largely getting Kate, quote unquote, done. And then the next episode gets Kevin, quote unquote, done so that we can move on to really wrapping up like Miguel, Rebecca, and then the family as a whole in the last two episodes, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so we are going to dive into the Rebecca portion first, which seems like, you know, wow, isn't that like the heaviest thing to jump into? You guys normally talk about the lighter stuff first, which we do, but that's really going to play out more into the second episode we're talking about. So we're just going to dive right in with Rebecca. And it's funny, Paul, but now in our timeline, we have flashbacks and we have future. So we have like the wedding's actually happening in 2026. So we no longer have the present to deal with, which is kind of a funky thing. And I sure hope that all listeners are putting down the laundry long enough to pay attention to where we are. (laughs) Uh, because it can get a little confusing. It can. Like there will be moments where we go back to say other angles of say the engagement party or something like that in the next episode. Someone's not paying attention might be like, all of a sudden, Rebecca's remembering things a lot better or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. These last ones are worth paying attention to. If you are somebody who, like Paul said, does laundry or does you know chores or is like dealing with kids or whatever, I would definitely encourage you in these last couple to just put everything down and pay attention because the the way they're wrapping things up is is pretty fast and furious. They are still jumping to try to make sure that they're telling every little part of the story. And so, yeah, I agree with you. It can get a little confusing. Uh, with Rebecca's story, you pointed out while we were watching how the writing in this one was probably a few rungs more interwoven with itself than we've seen in some other episodes in terms of the, the linking the the background or the flashbacks uh, with what's happening now. It was it was much tighter um, this time than we've seen in some other episodes. Not to say that those are bad episodes, but that this one is just super tight. I have felt in the last two episodes that anything that Rebecca says, no matter what timeline we're in, I want to put a lot more weight on that because it feels like she's speaking directly to the audience. Anything that she is concerned about, anything that she is, it's its almost, it's like this cryptic, like secret code, you know, because she isn't always talking to the character you think she should be. She isn't always talking about even the time frame she's in. So let's explain it a little bit better. Okay. So we have the setup of the flashback. We have Rebecca being a young mom. The kiddos are probably, I don't know, six years old or so. And they're all playing around. And instantly, I told you, as soon as the safety guard, crossing guard there, complimented 
you're here every day at the exact same time. That alone, right then, I was like, oh, shoot. This is total mom life rut. I can see it in her face. Only one comment from one other extra person on the set. And it was like, oh, damn. Then when she's, you know, pound a ham, you know, at the at the grocery store. You know, do you want the same haircut you always get? All this stuff. I was like, oh, man, she is in such a caretaker rut. Like, I can see it in her face. We've all been there. We've definitely felt that. You know, I kind of looking back and think like our 30s are kind of a blur for me. You know, when our kids were seven versus when our kids were like nine versus when our kids were like 11, it's all like one thing. It was all like elementary school. You know, like it doesn't, there isn't really any like huge defining thing for me during that time. And it feels like that because it's like school starts at the same time. You're making the same lunches. You're doing the same thing. It's just so monotonous. I felt her, her pain of like, man, I just want, I need something exciting to happen. We have a sign in our bathroom that I hung up probably when our kids were mm, a little bit older than this, but not much that says wake up every morning, like something unexpected could happen. I had to start feeling that way because it was like, oh my God, like, is it Monday? Is it Wednesday? Is it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When people say it's the weekend, I'm like, that means nothing to me anymore. <laughs> like, I just have kids to take care of. It just doesn't matter. Did you relate to this? I know as a mom, I sort of did. But did you as, as a parent or even just as a caregiver, did you relate to this like, oh my God, Groundhog Day kind of feel? For sure. I guess I would say that the time when they were little kids did feel super busy. I couldn't wait to get to this next part where they didn't need so much this, that, or the other. And now that they're, that they, that they are to that phase, it's like, don't you remember when they were small and cute and they did all those cute things? Yes. When we used to get like, because they're all teenagers now, we used to get these notes back that, do you remember when it would say how joyful they are, how full of joy they are? And I was like, what happened to your joy, y'all? Yeah. <laughs> Having two 19-year-olds and an 18-year-old, I actually kind of feel like some of the joy is coming back a little bit. There's a little less angst because we're done with like the grind of high school and stuff like that. You know, there's other things to look forward to now. And I do feel like getting out of that school, you know, it's it's like a like you put your little cart on the train track when you start kindergarten. And it's like you, nobody looks back until senior year, you know. You just go. You got on your track. Enjoy. And you become pound of ham. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think especially these last two years with pandemic, I think there's a lot of us who feel like even if we weren't pound of ham 24 months ago, we're Game super, super freaking 10 more pounds of ham. <laughs> yes, exactly. Definitely feeling pound of hamish. What I found fascinating about this was how they they paralleled this with Miguel's caregiver role. This was one of those times when I feel like a lot of people could miss it because it's so common to have that mom rut part. You know, I would say less people have experienced the slice of the pie that is taking care of someone 24-7 with the mental, emotional, physical trying, you know, that nature of the like, <sighs> just trying your nerves all the time. On TV, I don't know that it's always the elder husband that gets represented as being the caretaker. Absolutely. You're so right. Actually, one of the things that got Paul and I into podcasting was the role of Matt Jameson in The Leftovers. And if you guys haven't seen The Leftovers, it's certainly a... a it's not for everyone, but it's powerful TV. I think especially season one, though, if you enjoyed This Is Us, 
there is there are elements to the leftovers, especially like that caregiver role that really, I think, would speak to people. Matt Jamison spoke to me so clearly because at that time, we as caregivers never saw that being played out. And I think especially, like you said, very unusual to see a husband, a man, caregiver, and watching that that role play out, partially because men tend to pass away before women. And so you tend to have women caretaking men to their deathbeds, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it is it is a different circumstance to have it in the reverse. Just the vulnerability and the need for compassion from the caretaker, whether you know it's Miguel or it's Rebecca as a younger person, it was so palpable for me. Miguel's just being so over having to talk about their current life and what is happening. God, I just related so much. They, I know that they needed to create this TV dramatic moment so that it would drive home a lot of what Miguel's going through without showing us what they couldn't show us because there's so little time left to show us stuff, mm-hmm. right? However, I think a heads up to Randall, you know, he's a very smart guy, but he's he comes off as just sort of like white knight obtuse in a way that he doesn't really need to be. It's just he could have said, hey, I need to get a way. So can we go taste wine for a while instead of blowing up about, I just wanted to taste wine, you know, like... <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, sure. And I think you and I are at that point where we can ask for a break. But certainly you and I have seen in parent groups or, you know, because we've experienced a lot of support groups or maybe we've seen it with grandparents or whatever, where the person has never gotten to that point where they feel comfortable asking for a break. Mm. You know, yeah. whether it's because, you know, they feel like it's their job or they feel guilty to ask for a break or or whatever. And so maybe Miguel. All those parts that can't be discounted. Yeah, so maybe Miguel felt like he he couldn't tell Randall, I need a break from your mother. Maybe that felt too hard to say. Even if you said it, like you said, like like if there's ways to say it where you're like, I could really use like a brain break or like I really need to talk about anything else for an hour just because, you know, we just all need that. It doesn't seem like Randall's been kept in the loop of everything that's no, going on. It so it's not unreasonable for him who's just gotten new information to want to be filled in right away. So to be whisked away and be told, I don't actually want to talk about the thing that you just saw happen for like an hour. Like that was also like, come on, that's kind of unfair. You know, like just fill me in. And then at the end of it, say, "Okay, like now I just want to drink wine with you and not talk about this for like a half an hour because that's all you'd have left of your hour time and just be cool. And I think you and I have gone out of our way to maintain friendships and friend groups who ask us and participate in our lives with our kids on a certain level and they know what's going on with our kids. And certainly we could go to them and, and you know, they've been a part of fundraisers and they've been a part of all kinds of things. But also we don't have to talk about anything having to do with special needs or anything having to really even with kids and everyone's 100% okay with that and wouldn't think it was weird and wouldn't go out of their way to ask us. Fact. So yeah. for Miguel, he hasn't, right? And especially when he's around the big three. Well, this isn't even... No I mean, choice. This isn't even his neck of the woods. He moved here, California. They moved here to support Kate raising the little kids. And then mm-hmm. she had more grandkids all of a sudden. So it was like... <laughs> you could see where Miguel's social circle would be microscopic here. Even after all these years, men that age 
You're right. They don't go out and make friends. Super good point is that the friends that I'm referencing, while I have a pack of friends who are more recent to me within the last, like, I would say seven or eight years, really the basis of both of our friend groups are people who knew us back in high school. You know, whether it's just one or two that are still left in that group and there's newer people that have joined in or whatever, those people, because they knew us before kids and before everything, you're right, Miguel doesn't have that basis. You know, no. he doesn't have these people around him as a support system. So I, my heart was going out to both Rebecca and Miguel, you know, the young Rebecca, in in that I understood what they were getting at. I understood the like, I cannot stand to just have to live this life day in and day out with no breaks, with no surprises. With nothing exciting to look forward to, one of the things you and I did to combat it was we made a big dry erase board of things to look forward to. It started off in different ways and really far apart. We might say in six months, we're going to go take a weekend away and we're going to put it on this board and we're going to look at it and remember it and think about it when things are tough. Yeah. So it wasn't just about that one weekend we took away, but it was like the looking forward to it. It helped sustain us. I don't want to redirect from that comment. Please, it's okay. One thing that kind of bothered me, and I, I have special needs people in my family, so I know the way that we have dealt with it, but we've been dealing with it since it feels like 20 years now. It is. So we haven't had to like indoctrinate a new person into our world in a way where we have to say, by the way, our daughter's deafblind, so... You know. Well, and our son has Tourette's and two of our kids have autism. And if this happens, this is going to happen. Exactly. Or don't react this way. Or So as I mentioned, we're reviewing both episodes and there are two times where I feel like, and I don't know, maybe someone with, with memory care in their family could say, no, that's, you know, it's kind of, it's not the way they say to do it. But I think it's fair to tell people that are going to interact with her closely one-on-one, -on -one, okay, She's been calling Kevin Jack. Yes. You know, this is the way we've been told to deal with it. I know that they needed to play it out on screen, all that, but I, I just like to think, boy, they did that the wrong way. They, that in, in reality, a family would have handled that proactively um, in the case of Randall and later the case of Sophie. Well, certainly whenever we've had something like a family reunion or a wedding or something like that, we have given some sort of heads up to people who might not, you know, have seen our kids in a while. Like like basic things, like if someone's getting married into our family, right, which has happened when we've said, look, we are going to need a place for Lauren to be able to sit because even though like say you're cocktail hour is like milling around outside we're going to need like a rocking chair or we're going to need somewhere where she can sit down or something because that's not going to work for us for an hour like she can't do that i think that there are times and you're exactly right we do we are like captain front loading uh, i will call ahead even to just like a sunday family dinner and be like this one didn't sleep well at all last night so if they're like being like short with anybody just like freaking spread the word that like it's not about you guys this was a bad day if you ever got to know me in person you would know that the one thing that I fear day to day is possibly suffering any kind of embarrassment in front of someone else. And when someone would say something like, oh, is your baby tired? Oh, is this? Oh, is that? 
Because we, her eyes weren't all the we way open. Right. Or nodding or whatever. We would have to say these this thing. And the impact of them hearing that wasn't something that they could just be like, that we had just offered them a stick of gum. No, this is a very heavy emotional piece of news that we have just shared with them. And you could see all of a sudden they were like, oh, geez, I have no, I, I am not emotionally ready or trained to how to recover socially in this moment because I just said the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to save people from their own selves, I guess. Yeah. That became our working philosophy. And I got to imagine that works for a lot of other people too. We can't be unique in that. It's funny how much we anticipate that kind of stuff. Because even if someone will say something like, what, I'm not blind. And, and I will start to see the look wash over them. And before they can say anything, I'll say, it's fine. I'm, it's fine. Because we both know that inside they're going, why did I say that her daughter is deafblind? I shouldn't say I'm not blind. And I'll, I'll say, no. And I don't even have to say what the thing is. I could just be like, you're fine. I think what we're seeing, though, Paul, is a family who this was all ratcheted up very quickly. And that is the breakdown that we see with Miguel when he really starts getting upset with Randall was that things are starting to move much, much faster. It could be so, that they agreed to do the music when she was still at like a eight or a nine. And in the last few months, she's all of a sudden a six, you know? Oh yeah. No, they said they had been practicing for a year. Okay. So gosh, yeah. It so has deteriorated for sure, without a doubt. And the whole thing with Jack calling for Jack, asking for Jack, what a gut punch for Miguel. First of all, you're living in this man's shadow for every second of, of your interaction with this family. You are persona non grata the entire freaking time, right? Right. But then now you're in what it, what can only be the last years here of being with your wife who you've loved and cared for. And all you have to do is make believe and allow her to continue to talk to her husband, Jack, who she really is in love with. Oh, my <laughs> God. And, I, you know, here's the deal. A lot of what you're talking about to me comes under what you and I would call best practices, right? And I think that the show did a decent job of kind of sprinkling in some best practices when it comes to someone with Alzheimer's. So from what I understand, and I have no experience with it, but I'm just picking it up from what the show seems to be cueing us on. You go with it. If someone says something like, you know, where is Jack? You don't tell them the person has passed. You just say, oh, they'll be back in a little bit because they kind of come in and out of it, you know, asking for Jack or asking for Kevin or or whatever. Then you would have to tell them he died maybe every five minutes, every day of, of their life. And they'd mm. have that same grief and that same trauma every five minutes. Well, possibly a so meltdown. So you just stop. Yeah. A, it's a term that gets used well into adulthood for people with any kind of special need emotionally. That for us in the in the world of that means a long period of of just emotional turmoil. It's not just something they just go through and it's like, oh, well, let's go get some ice cream afterwards. It's like, no, my day might be shot now. Right. It's not synonymous with like tantrum. Like no. that's not, it's not. And people do use those two words no. interchangeably, but it's not. And it's definitely something that you can't click out of at all, you know, if you're having a meltdown. So you're completely right. The other best practice that I definitely saw happening was the use of music and encouraging music. And that is something that I have heard about people with any type of Alzheimer's dementia, that type of thing that somehow music can bring them back and focus them 
on what either the task or a specific memory or whatever. There's something really special about music. I liked how they kind of are educating us as they have with like Jack being blind. They're educating us a little bit about Alzheimer's. Again, every case is super specific. So, you know, anything that they talk about is, of course, a blanket kind of suggestion. I'm sure some people this doesn't work for. As a family, they haven't figured out the dynamic. Like, it's weird to me that both Kate and Kevin knew. Kate couldn't give Randall a heads up, like, you know, in advance. If they knew about the music happening, any of that, then you'd think you'd also say, and also mom is very confused about dad right now. So you're probably going to hear her talk about where's Jack or something like that. And so we just want to give you that heads up. You would do that, especially too, because there's grandkids involved. And like, you know, that's a big thing that I think you and I go out of our way. If you're dealing with grandparents or kids, you extra want to prepare them for anything that's going to happen, like temper everything, you know, as much as you can and be like, keep people informed. Like if she says this, just say, oh, he's not here right now and just keep going. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a difficult situation. I respect the fact that they presented it as this has been a quick and steep decline that no one was really prepared to disseminate information about. For whatever reason, including apparently Miguel's health. He said he was having a side effect from just a medication. I'm willing to believe him on that. I'm not. Tell me more. I uh, believe he is uh, at a wedding. He wants to play his role. And when the time is right, they will say what's going on with Miguel. But he is not there to say, I have MS. I have whatever Parkinson's, whatever it could be Okay. that that is well beyond high blood pressure or whatever he was saying. Yeah, he was saying he had a reaction to medication. To that point, though, I don't want to ignore the fact that just the stress and the anxiety. I mean, you and I, when we are in a situation like a reunion or a wedding, we are on high alert, right? <laughs> I mean, damage control is is the biggest understatement it's of the, the only year. control. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> We're, we are strictly on damage control. And so, you know, shoot, if you saw me shaking a little or if you were shaking a little, I don't even know if we paid a hell of a lot of attention to that because it'd be like, yeah, my nerves are freaking shot. I'm trying to keep everything together and everything is going to shit Not all around great, us. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> I really related to these characters. I really felt like I understood what was going on with them and the super high stress of the situation. And we have both had very loving, very well-meaning family members who ask the wrong questions and say the wrong things at the wrong time, like Randall was, that with just some more information, you know, he could have been a great support system, but unfortunately, somehow... They got missed on, you know, the information train. Now, we have to just give them, a, a you know, a couple sentences, the Randall and Beth Pearson fam, in terms of like, you know, we have Senator Randall Pearson has happened now. And so clearly they've had huge, you know, changes in their life and a lot of things that are maybe keeping his attention elsewhere. That was my bet, is, is if you had to come up with a little bit of backstory for yourself, well, a campaign would be a very busy time. He's traveling all over the state, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, the girls it, are heading off to college, probably both Tess and, and Asia. They might have made like a little California Pearson-based decision. They would tell him what he needed to know, but it just, they would they would operate as themselves for a while. And let me say this as well. For those who are very uncertain, like like Paul's in this camp, I would also say that you would always walk into those situations hoping for the best. 
you know, people in Rebecca's situation often have good days and bad days. And there is a shot you always want to kind of give yourself that's like, maybe, just maybe, we're going to have a great couple of days because we pre-planned these breaks and we spread out the activities for the day to give her lots of time to rest. Maybe she won't do the jack thing and we don't even have to address it. Maybe we could give them a little grace that they thought they had put enough safety nets in place that she wasn't going to have any type of, I'm going to call it like episodes or whatever like that. Still, I'm with you 100%. Just tell her own kid, right? You don't have to tell all the all the wedding entire, you know, guest list, but I'll tell Randall, you know, for God's sake. <laughs> right. Let's go back to old Rebecca, um, meaning flashback Rebecca, so actually young Rebecca. Let's talk about her for a second. The haircut, the, the need for change, the Jack's response to it. And then some of the some of the writing that we saw in that version of Rebecca and, and kind of how it affected how I looked at old Rebecca. I can think of maybe a couple little cosmetic things that we did, but you never destroyed your hair. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking a drink of water there. Woo! Okay, well, so I would never cut all my hair off like at all ever, but it was of a time, you know, 1980s was definitely a time. Your mom had that haircut. My mom never did. My mom's never had her hair shorter than her shoulders. So I don't relate to this, but certainly we know a lot of moms, but we've, whether it was called the Dorothy Hamill haircut, right? The Princess Diana haircut. Oh, God. So many women had Diane Sawyer had that haircut. Sinead O'Connor. No, it wasn't like that. No, I mean, a lot of people had that haircut. But what did you think of Jack's response and how he was dealing with it? Well, finally, we got to see a little bit of of the Jack from the first five seasons. Because as I've mentioned before, season six Jack has not... He's been fine, but he hasn't been... Jack Pearson, you know, so this was a big, big gesture like we're used to seeing from Jack. I never really thought the goatee suited him. Uh-huh. I don't know that the mustache all by itself does either, but... My dad totally had a mustache during this time. Didn't your dad? He had it much earlier. But people wanted to know the where the change came from. Obviously, <laughs> soon as Rebecca could grow her hair back out again, she did. But yeah, the, the mustache stuck forever after that. Yeah. They, 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 people were interested in seeing that, that change. My dad had that total same mustache all through the 80s. And in fact, he shaved it off in 90. I remember we were moving and, and we were like getting ready to go into the car with our like bags and stuff. And he like came out of the house and had shaved his mustache. And we we're all like, what happened to your face? Like, we all kind of had that same response. And it was sort of, the, it was sort of like, well, is, you know, we're having this new life. Like, I'm going to move to this new job and this new house and this new state and all this stuff. And, you know, it was like a new look. And I was like, oh, God, whoa. Now looking back, I'm like, did dad have like a Rebecca moment? Was he all like, I'm stuck in a rut. I'm going to shave this mustache. <laughs> I'm just pound a ham. And my dad was feeling pound a ham, Paul. I'm having a mm. moment, a realization. Maybe. Dad was feeling pound of ham. <laughs> Poor dad. I was like, wow. I wasn't as bad as the kids in the He-Man comment. I mean, you basically fell off the couch when the kid was like, she looks like He-Man. <laughs> and they kept showing He-Man on the TV. <laughs> hilarious. It was super funny. And then, um, but I have to say the Peter Pan thing. 
actually kind of hit my heart because yes, it looked like Peter Pan. But if you want to do the like English class, you know, exercise of delving into this writing, Peter Pan never grows old, you guys. He, he, he never grows old. He never he never has to deal with being what Rebecca's going through now. And there's something about another line she says, she said she doesn't ever want to forget who she is. And she, of course, means it like how we all do about I don't want to become a mom and lose myself, lose my dreams, lose all the, you know, all the things I wanted for my life. And now I'm just mom. I'm using my air quotes. When she said that line, I don't want to forget who I am. And we're, you know, having these these other storyline going on where she's asking for Jack and and Miguel is crying and all this stuff. You're like, oh, my God, she's forgetting who she is. Like, oh, my God. It was amazing writing, I thought. I mean, because it was all so subtle. There, it there, was. It worked so well as the mom. And the Peter Pan line worked so well. It's really a second viewing sort of thing that you caught it. Yeah, that you really didn't even have to apply it. But once you did, it's like, oh my God, they're so good at this. <laughs> what about the He-Man part? Does she have a sword? <laughs> Where does He-Man come Does she play? protect Grayskull? I hope she has a tiger. <laughs> what was his name? Was the tiger? Well, name? which version? Oh, there was crap. Cringer. Cringer, I think, is who I mean. Was the pussycat, if you will. Oh. And then um, when he would put on the like big and then contraption, and he would become Battle Cat. Battle Cat, yes. yes. Okay, so I'm really thinking Adam with Cringer. Yes. I'm really good with that version, not so much when he turns into He-Man and then Battle Cat. Gotcha, gotcha. Really great writing, really got to my heart a whole lot. Mandy Moore, I really don't think I've had my arms around how amazing she has done in this role because I honestly see completely different characters. When she is playing this young mom with these six-year-olds, I'm not even thinking about the fact that the woman at the wedding is the same actress. I'm really not. Like, she's actually defined these individual Rebecca's in these various years, wherever part she's playing, so clearly. I get completely lost in it. Like, I'm, I never think, oh, God, the makeup, the hair, the whatever. Like, you know, like many, many, many movies and shows, you can't hide it. You, you, are, you always know how old the person actually is. And then oh, yeah. you just see how they aged them or de-aged them in some way. I can think of several aging up examples, even in even in movies where they spend a lot of money, much more than they do on episodic TV, where the aging is just not convincing. And the actor themselves still seems like a 30-year-old playing a 7-year-old. Right. Like they never really get the mannerisms. They never really, you know, capture what that age for that person would have looked like. And I think Mandy Moore, I mean, I don't know. This is not something you and I have talked about at all. What's your take on Mandy Moore and how she's done? I know people are calling for an Emmy this year or bust. I mean, I think I think she should should get nominated. I know she hasn't yet. Which is crazy to me. Every episode now she's playing a different character. You know, if you think about episodic TV, those people are supposed to be just sort of steeped in the same character over years and years. So when you see someone win for a character that they played for six years in a row or something, is that truly as impressive as someone that has played a character for six years? But in that sixth year, every episode 
they've had to play a different version of that because her memory gets slightly worse every time. So that means she has to take on new mannerisms, new physical manner. Uh, those are the same thing, <laughs> but, but maybe new auditory things or maybe ticks or things that she didn't have the previous episode. It's like studying for a new character, preparing for a new character every episode that's not the deal with episodic tv you know yeah but that's her job right now throughout so much of this we have said that the character of rebecca pearson was like the lost pearson we spent so much time on the big three we spend so much time on jack you know we if you go back to our episodes you know in previous seasons we're like they barely even show that rebecca was like mothering or doing anything like the focus is so on the kids and jack you barely get a taste of her and now that we're seeing her and, you know, I, I look at her as that as that, you know, in the 20s with the little kids and her eyes are so bright and big and she's so smiley and she just has this certain look. And to see her in the in the wedding episode with, you know, now we're in 2026 and, you know, the wrinkles and her eyes are always like half closed because, you know, we're all aging and that's all happening. It's so subtle, but it's so dead on, like thoroughly impressed with her. And I didn't really think anything of Mandy Moore before this series. I wasn't someone who watched her movies. I didn't really listen to her music or anything like that. So, like, she has floored me. I'm astounded. I don't know if I had recorded it in any of our podcasts. I sure hope I did. And okay. I challenge the listener to go and find it. Go listen to all million hours of the podcast <laughs> to find it. I had had this belief that ever since uh, Randall played that song on stage about his job mm. that you have to remind people about that song though remember from the it was from the pilot, pilot? i swear it was first season for sure okay it's when randall goes to talk about his career and it's kind of set up a little look it kind of looks like a talent show but he's singing about what he does and it's the melody it's the when you want corn or whatever mm -hmm. he, he sings the yeah. song and he tries to play the piano and he's awful but he does the whole thing and never gets off stage and he wants to he wants to be there he wants to do his part for his kid and i and i was just thinking and i sure hope i said it on a podcast that had been just a melody a tune a ditty that mom had tinkered around on the piano just their whole lives and that was how he knew it and then when they said that same thing in this episode <laughs> and it paid off that thought then i thought oh man i sure hope i said that on a podcast <laughs> i know for certainty that when she sat down at the piano when they said it was this song i know that it live here you referenced back to Randall playing that little tune. And I was like, oh, my God, because when you started doing that, when you want corn, and I was like, oh, my God, you're totally right. Like that song was that melody. And it didn't mean anything at the time. I don't remember any of us saying like, oh, my God, he's playing the theme song right now as he's playing this explaining what his job is song. But oh, my God, when you know, it's kind of funny about that. Is you, remember, Mrs. Mazel Sterling can carry a tune. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, if you guys haven't watched Mrs. Maisel, uh, Sterling comes over and plays a character who actually does sing for just, just one moment, one song. It's not a star and, uh, maker, but he can sing. Yeah, but fine. he can do it. Yeah, of course. So for him to have to be like, uh -huh, like yeah, it was, you're right. It was, it was good stuff. I mean, he's quality, right? He's always quality. Still, though, Paul, when we had that moment when Rebecca is going to have to sit down and play the pregnant pause that I felt 
nationwide of anyone who was watching it at the same time we were, my heart, like, I was just like frozen. Like, is she going to be able to do this? I didn't know if Kate was going to need to get up and go over and start to play or if all three kids would come and start to sing with her because she was going to get lost or whatever. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. We were live tweeting and the live tweeters out there didn't have a lot of faith in Rebecca right then either. Why would you? I mean, this was such high pressure. Yes, this is something she sang to them all of her life, but oh my God. Until she started to play, her voice was so strong and like true to her. Like it wasn't an old lady croaking out this little just attempt, you know, it was so full and sure of herself. I know there wasn't a dry eye at that wedding, but I mean, I think people around the globe, whomever was watching it was like the relief of her remembering it was part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. That just, oh, my God, she's actually doing it. And then the realization when she gets to the melody and she plays that little part and you're like, it's the theme song. And everybody just like freaked out on social media, like just, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening, that they pulled this together. Holy crap. And then for it in real life here in not Pearson land, it is like topping the charts. Mandy Moore is topping the charts with a song. That's funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, you didn't know that? I didn't know that. She beat like every, like she was the top song <laughs> this past week with that. Huh. So, wow. This is us fans made it known, <laughs> right? <laughs> they showed their allegiance and like, wow. Again, I never really listened to Mandy Moore's music. I'm super interested to see what she does next. If she chooses to get back into, you know, full-time music, I would be super interested to see what her next album would look like. I bet it's going to be all family, all this type of songs all the time because she could cash in. Because you know why? People are going to want to hear Mama Pearson's voice. You think? Yes. Don't you? I would cash in on that shit. It would be all about raising kids and how I love, you know, my husband. How I raise kids and I love my husband. But he died. Yes, all of that. Wouldn't you? Every single one of those celebrities who go around and continue to play that character at every Comic-Con, she has the opportunity to do this through music and sell massive amounts of music that just sounds like you just want to hear Mama Pearson sing you a lullaby, you know? Don't you think? Yeah, well, I hope she does. I hope Uh, she does too. She became famous around the same time as like Christina Aguilera, Britney Britney Spears, Spears, Jessica Simpson. Mm -hmm. But she was always the least famous of that bunch for whatever reason. So she did a little acting between now and that time period but that's a long time if you think about it that was the early 2000s and god this, time has marched on yeah Paul. this show i was like no dude that was just like five years ago <laughs> right right but it wasn't but she, her image control was always a little different than those other three she was also much more i would say like wholesome right for she, sure no uh cat suits i think that her singing about family and love and blah 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 but like cashing in on the love of the pearson family she could write some songs that would have people like just freaking out you know i'm i'm super interested to see what, if she could figure out how to cash in on this 
She should. If you're listening, Mandy, you absolutely should. <laughs> I would. Being podcasters, we get recognized for our voice all the time. You could just do this. <laughs> it would be amazing. So strangely, Paul, even though this entire thing was really about a wedding of Kate and Philip, they are kind of like the least problematic or interesting like portion of the whole episode, right? I mean, things went pretty smooth. They they pretty much supported each other. Everybody looked pretty good. Everybody showed up where they were supposed to and things went pretty well. The venue was beautiful. The little bit where the pastor or officiant oh, that um, was so read the weird. It almost seemed like a bit of English humor. You it know? seemed like a bit. If you just left it at that, that seemed like a bit. Yeah. It wasn't my humor. I was like, <laughs> move on. I yeah. do not go for this. Marrow. Oh, gross. Or that. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times because of the way that the flashbacks and then the way that they do the like cutting back to stuff. We saw him do that mowage crap like four separate times. I swear. I was so over it. I was like, I can't even one more time. We're going to launch into everything having to do with Madison and Beth and their Agatha Christie mystery and everything going on with Kevin and what that mowage was about. But do you have anything to say about the actual wedding, the venue, the things we saw around, anything? Um, Randall's speech was excellent. The The Twitter fans were thinking it was a little long, but, okay. but um, you know, he had a he had a good message that that stitched through the entire episode with the um, the idea of time. I've made the same observation about, about say, getting you just had your birthday about you getting like this. older is, you know, if you think about when you were a kid and your mom would say something like, give me a minute. And then you would count to 60 and that 60 seemed like six years. Mm -hmm. Right. And now, if someone says, give me a minute, or you tell someone to give you a minute, you think they're bothering you in one second, you know, <laughs> about that one minute you asked for. I feel like I can't believe that summer is like a breath away. That I was like, we just had summer. What are you talking about? We just had, you know, 2018. Everything. <laughs> right. Everything <laughs> seems like it just happened. What are you talking about? And also, like, I'm out of ideas. What do you mean Christmas is around again? I don't have any more gift ideas. I'm out of ideas. Vacation. Ah, I don't know what to do anymore. We have to have another one. I thought of you a lot when Randall was talking about things are coming faster and you're trying to deal with it. And of course, I 100% think this was the writers talking to the audience. The information we're giving you right now in the last, you know, X amount of episodes, four or five episodes left is going to come fast and furious and you're going to be trying to process it and it's going to feel like whiplash. You know, everything that's happening every time you turn your head, something feels momentous all the time because we're trying to cram this all in. But also we've all been together for six years like the story has been unfolding this whole time, but there's something about only having five hours left together that feels like it's all too fast. You know, I can't right. take it all in anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always love anytime a show can bring in a little Golden Girls action. And I also very much appreciate when they had Nikki and Edie and Rebecca and Miguel playing cards together. That was the same type of dynamic that I felt like we had with Sally and her husband. And I had said to you then, I really wish that we had had a couple more moments where we got to see like Rebecca and Miguel have conversations with people their own age and have like more camaraderie with some peers. You know, there was something about 
the look of that table that certainly reminded me of my parents and my aunt and uncle sitting around having dinner together or, you know, something like that. Like it, there's something about that. Recently, my dad and my uncle, um, who is a married in uncle, both played Little League together. And we were leaving a birthday party just like a month ago. Both of these men who are now like my dad's in his 70s and my uncle is close. They were walking through a door frame together and just and I took a picture of them from behind because there was something about the idea that these little boys, you know, had played together when they were so little. And in a blink of an eye, they were like the grandpas at this birthday party together, you know, and it was so cute and like touching to me and everything. But that's how this show feels, though, too, right? Like in a blink of an eye, we saw Nikki and we saw Rebecca so young and we saw all this stuff. And now we see them as these older, you know, grandpa, grandma types sitting around playing cards. And the, I don't know, there's something about that visual that is very touching to me. It reminds me of what I've seen the older generations doing at weddings. You know, just they're already dressed. They're ready for the show. <laughs> they got nothing to do. For a long time so they just pass the time in their tuxes or whatever at the hotel or in this case the venue and the hotel are like one thing right just to see those characters together though sure you know the nikki that was never in rebecca's life you know until kevin brought him around and like all those things you know like just i don't know that the history was palpable there you know between all those people, minus Edie, who's pretty new, <laughs> but she's amazing and I love her. She's a well, fantastic ad. That's what you get to do when your story's over on the show is you just get to You skate. get to sit around and play cards yeah. and eat and drink and talk. Yeah, you get to <laughs> have sexual misadventures that require ice, ice and robes and things. So. That was so funny. First of all, I would definitely be running around in my robe if I was Nikki, and that was a very funny conversation with Kevin. <laughs> that's Too coming funny. up in the next one. But yes. What? The ice? Wasn't it? Yeah, probably. Okay. I don't know. It doesn't matter. There's all mashing together. We're talking it's about all both episodes together. together. All right. We are ready to get to the bath to the Beth and Madison trying to hunt down Kevin's secret love affair. One postscript. Oh, okay. There were a lot of viewers that were bothered by the not big presence by the kids. Oh. Whether it was Kate's kids, Kevin's kids. Or Randall's kids, and I don't care. <laughs> I just didn't care that they weren't there. Just, Today was not their story. I'm just chalking it up to anyone who has a large family and people are like milling around and they already said the events were very spread out throughout the day and that they were taking pictures at different points in time and stuff like that. I, I just think that the time, the moment that we saw where they were all standing together, that was just one photograph. Like we all have pictures where there was like, just you and your mom or just you and your dad or just me and my sister like not every single picture had every single family member in it so even though that was a big picture and certainly there were people missing there was enough people missing that it was like you know when they always do the thing okay now the cupstices come in you know remember at the church whatever they do that if, part if and it, everybody if it makes you feel and, better think like kevin hired a couple of people to take care of the kids so that Kate and Philip could have their day without worrying about the kids. Which we all would. Or, or something like that. And then think maybe Randall's kids either stayed on their side of the country, had college, whatever. 
But or maybe we're even there, but they were like over doing something else. Like the, the Twitterverse was no just like worries. losing their brains about it, and you it know, just wasn't an important part of the story. There was also a section of people who really hated this episode, Paul, who really was like, "I don't like it. I don't get it. I don't care about Rebecca's haircut." All that kind of business that I was like, well, I'm not even going to – I won't even like comment on whether they should or shouldn't like it. I personally very much enjoyed it and I feel like it fit in the story, like the larger, bigger story. I don't think it stuck out like some big sore thumb like, whoa, 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 what are you doing with this one? Like I don't know what you're talking about. Like there were the same patterns. There were the same parallels. Characters didn't act wildly out of line. Like I'm not exactly sure what they had – like such an issue with but there was quite a few social media posts about just really not connecting to this for us being caregivers and being certain ages and having kids and all stuff maybe we particularly plugged in to this one and and if you're if you haven't experienced that yet or just aren't going to for whatever reason then you're right maybe this is a bad match and you just really didn't relate that's okay there's plenty of episodes i don't relate to i did like as you were starting to mention Beth and Madison and their little hijinks. And oh, their, my goodness. And their Harriet the Spy business <laughs> that they were pulling. And Nancy Drew, Agatha Christie, everything. Yeah. So funny. We needed some comic relief in this one. The, there were some really heavy things that were going on with this. And uh, I have to, you know, I know we already left this, but if you got a postscript, I'm doing a PSS. The, the other thing that we didn't mention was that Rebecca in her 1980s goes and plays the piano and is playing the piano and they're flashing from that Rebecca to 2026 Rebecca playing the piano, her singing her songs in both timelines. And it was like, wow, like even that, the cinematography on some of these shots were pretty amazing. I thought even Randall and Miguel sitting, uh, they were actually standing and they did like the whole backdrop of the entire winery, like, you know, but they were kind of in silhouette. Very beautiful, you know? Yeah. I thought there was a lot there that you could enjoy. Beth and Madison, though, <laughs> all their jokes, loved it. I mean, this was like for me, quintessential the writers using things that the audience is completely talking about and then taking some characters in the show and have them talk about it and have them say and do the things that the audience that they've seen on social media and whatnot that people are saying, the hunting down, the the sitting there and trying to to decipher, is this, you know, is this bra Madison's? Is this Madison's? No. Is this bra Cassidy's? Is, oh, what is this? Like all that stuff. That's all that anyone's talking about, right? Out in the world. Right. Which woman is it? Well, that is the um, the trailer, the teaser that we were left with. I wonder, because often uh, with these very leading teasers, I have thought that Fogelman might have had a hand in it. But this one in particular was, given how Kevin's episode winds up, was so heavy-handed that I wonder if it was just like the NBC, you know, teaser cutters, generic kind of thing, you know, because it was like, some of this didn't lead anywhere in like a big, huge way. There was nothing actually. Looking com- at you, wedding singer. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we, we didn't talk about Kevin really and his reaction in the episode with Rebecca. So we're going we're gonna to talk about Kevin a little bit 
there and how, you know, that kind of moves into this next episode. Because beyond just the who is he involved with, who is he going to end up with, we do have this storyline where Rebecca thinks Kevin's Jack. And they did have that really amazing uh, moment when it's Kevin who's walking in, but it's Milo who plays Jack, yeah. who walks in. My heart like stopped, you know, when he's like sitting on the bed with her. I was like, oh my God. Like, because that's when it, for me, 1000% clicked. Like, holy crap. When she looks at Kevin, she sees Jack, you know? It's not even, it's it's so literal. Whew. It, 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 <laughs> it knocked me over, honestly, to see him walk in that room, which so crazy. I looked at you and I said, oh my God, Jack attended both Kate's weddings because they had had that that strange kind of what if they were super old and have renewed their vows yeah um like yeah. flash over at Kate and Toby's wedding and so Jack was there and then now here's Jack you know attending this wedding and it was like oh this is so weird I can't imagine being in Kevin's spot and having to fake to be your own father for your own mom if you could think of a a person in the family that could, you'd think that the professional actor could, but oh. you could see like he does, he can play along to an extent, but he is very uncomfortable by it still. You know, he, he's not just calling her by her first name or, or, you know, anything. Right. He's not enjoying it. He's in no way like, you know, playing it up or something. No. But also she talks to him about Kevin. So yes. it's like she thinks he's Jack and here she is talking about Kevin to Kevin, you know, and it, that whole part too would just, uh, it really, it hit my heart. I was like, wow, this is the, if Miguel has to go through this talking about Jack, how, how much like mental gymnastics do you have to be doing to have your mom be talking about you, about you to you, but in the way she would talk to your father about you, like. Dang, that mm, that is rough. Well, and what's added to that might even be if you, if Kevin were the sort to sit and think about it, which the period that she is describing to him, Jack was already dead, so Jack was never there in the first place. Oh Lord, you're right. This is a hundred percent. She's talking to Jack as if Jack has lived with her mm -hmm. for the whole time. And, you know, like as if she's reminding him, oh, they were so young when they got married and they'll figure it out and all that stuff. And it's like, you're so right. Like, Ghost Jack doesn't even know that. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. No, that's that's oof, that's extra a lot. She has a similar conversation with Sophie, though, where she comes over to her and is having that same type of conversation. Yeah, the one that they should have warned Sophie about before she had it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it was the same type of thing. But there's something about Rebecca in this state that has this like purity and this honesty that uh, anything that she said, I was taking as like gospel. So when she was like, Kevin will figure it out, you know, Sophie and him are going to be, you know, they'll figure it out, that kind of stuff. Mm. I was like, okay, she said it. It's not going to be Cassidy. It's not going to be the wedding singer because Rebecca said it. And if Rebecca said it, I'm, I don't know why, but I'm taking it like written in stone, which I know kind of seems like Caroline. She's also calling him Jack. Like, I get it. But there's something about it 
that I feel like they are, she can just see it for what it is for whatever reason. I don't know how, I, I know that doesn't make sense, but I'm just taking her lines. Whatever the writer's writing for Rebecca to say about the situation feels the most honest. Yeah. It's it's funny. It's probably like a combination of of the wisdom gained by the li- the years that she has lived that in her state she's forgotten that she's lived, but it's like she's retained the wisdom and applied it to herself at that age that the kids were about 20, right? So it's mm-hmm. like if you could apply a 70-year-old's wisdom to a 20-year-old person or or the mom of a 20-year-old person, what that mom would think and say. You see how they'd be a little different than, than that's what tricky, yeah. a 40-year-old mom would say. Yeah. See, I, I do. I, and I think that's what she did. Yeah. That was some tricky business, man. It was a fascinating technique to talk to the audience and and tell the truth, if you will. Somehow the truth was going to be there about their romance and everything because somehow, like you said, she was seeing it as it actually happened way back when and somehow now she was applying this other wisdom but to that old situation yeah and it was like coming off like very like whoa she sees it she sees it you know like amazing so what is it that she sees paul because you were like that was so romantic paul was wooed by kevin hard y'all okay well if you're gonna (laughs) jump to the very end which is fine because this episode Really just boils down to the end. It I mean, does, because it was a lot of, it reminded me of To Tell the Truth. And then yeah. it's like where they all stand up and there's the three people and like one stands up a little bit and the other person sits down. They're like, oh, oh, oh. like, oh, she took off her bra. Oh, she's standing up. Oh, no, Cassidy came in. She's going to change in the bathroom. Oh, oh, the wedding singer wrote the lyrics. Oh, it's like, who's going to friggin' stand up? I know this is hard to believe, listeners, but this is being recorded before the Kevin episode. <laughs> and I would be curious to run a little Twitter poll. We will be. <laughs> to see what you folk, you fine folk out there in the internet think is going to happen. And if the wedding singer gets anything more than ah uh, 0%, <laughs> then shame on all of you. Oh, no, that's hilarious. You know what? I'm going to say, though, I really thought that the wedding singer summation by Kevin was pretty harsh. Like that I didn't out of character cruel actually. I thought so too. Or egotistical even. Yeah. Um, that was supposed to be some of that Kevin that we thought this many years on would have been like So if y'all are sitting there thinking, what are you talking about? What summation are you talking about? It's when he's talking to Nikki and we've already seen her come up and do the fake hug thing and then be like, I'm your biggest fan and blah blah blah. That whole thing happened, right? Yeah. And she was trying, and I don't know if it was real or not real that she was trying to duck the guy because that's a whole technique. In case you don't know, Paul. Yeah, Oliver or whatever his name I is. I don't know the... if that's totally real that she was ducking him or if she was just playing that so she could hug on him. And it was a pass. Well, they I had shown know. Oliver to be a. Yeah, kind of a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely someone you don't want to end up in a conversation a with. Predatory. Yeah, I agree with that. And but then the stuff at the bar with, you know, the writing the lyrics and he asks her to read the stuff. She doesn't like offer it up or anything. Was she really this tremendous, embarrassing, throwing herself at him that he kind of acts like she was when Nikki asks? I didn't think so. I didn't think so either. But his comment was like, and then this girl's just hitting on me. And it was like, whoa. I mean, she is a well-known actress who is getting like really taken down a couple notches as like just this 
this torpy chick who just like groped him. Like, what? Yeah, I didn't. That, that seemed that, weird. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. You called the Cassidy situation perfectly. The evolution of their their will they won't they into into they don't even really know that they're best friends, but they are best friends makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Especially with the they don't they don't spell it out for you, but they keep saying the nonprofit. They mean the vets working for the houses that they're building, mm-hmm. and she's been in charge of that since the get go. It's his passion project it makes it sound like he is still working in sitcoms so that he can devote his time to his kids and his other love the nonprofit. this is all you can kind of piece together all the other stuff there meaning like they spend a lot of time either on the phone or together so you know we all have people like this i think this is like a work husband or work wife well a little bit different because they're both single in that in that case the stuff that that creates very interesting footage for for leading trailers right for the editor to play with us with is actually you know these are two people in their early 40s that don't have significant others and so for them to touch each other familiarly but not romantically i don't think that's out of the question so like or even for her to ask for help with the zipper and stuff like that if she's his is plus 1 and you know there she has a hold of his his arm or whatever or she's touching him on the back whatever this this is like oh put that in the trailer because that that looks like they're they're doing salacious it turns out that they're actually familiar enough he can unzip her dress and it's not a sexual thing it's just she's uncomfortable and this is the closest place to change and and she doesn't know anybody else really to ask there this is best friend stuff this is not now, I would throw out there that she could ask, like, Edie, but five seconds before they just showed and did a good job showing that Edie's busy. Because Edie and Nikki would have been the two people that she actually probably would have knocked on their door. That's true. And said, Edie, can you get this, like, for me? That's true. They would have totally made sense to me, but they just showed they were they were off the table for that. And another thing that I mentioned a long time ago was that they had made Jennifer Morrison a lot less pretty than she actually is in real life. And how she normally presents herself is with dyed blonde hair and put together. But as like PTSD, Cassidy, she was never dressed up. And here she looks like you're used to seeing her on TV, which is dressed up, makeup on, hair dyed, all Mm -hmm. the whole thing. And I had kind of thought that they would let that character get to that point at some point. I, I couldn't really predict it would be in like a flash forward situation but they did yeah we got to see a lot of side boob turns out she has a mole (laughs) (laughs) i was surprised i was like that's a very flashy dress for cassidy like i was i I was not expecting to see that much boob right she had been not a fancy dress girl the whole time that we had seen her definitely she was wearing that gigantic cardigan last time we saw her if you remember and she still wore a wrap apparently she left the wrap Hmm. Which that wrap made no sense to what she was wearing, but whatever. Well, was that was that the same design as the other women? Remember how um, the like Beth and, Kat, the and, and Madison's dress didn't? They weren't the same dress, but they matched because they had that. Oh, she was wearing that blue dress. Hold up, she wore a blue dress, a blue solid dress when she was at the wedding. Okay, with probably. Maybe the floral wrap was supposed to come into play. I don't know. But the weird things, but she leaves the floral wrap there the night she's wearing the black dress with the white collar. Yeah. 
well, that floral wrap makes no sense to a black dress with a white collar with a really big open keyhole at her boobs. You wouldn't wear a pastel floral no. wrap. Like, that's a strange, I don't know, people. I'm not talking about Cassidy's floral wrap because it equaled nothing. So I loved our little PJ party, sitting on the bed, chit-chatting. Totally me. I'm exactly that girl. I'm like the best friend with all the boys type of thing where I'm going to sit there and eat grilled cheese and like talk shit and be like, what are you going to do? And then I'm gonna like go to my room. I appreciated Cassidy's entire vibe there. That worked for me. Sophie, though. Sophie Paul. Whew. You were sucked into this. No? Did you enjoy mm-hmm. the dry cleaner looking for a dress? And now I'm going to use that. I'm going to contact Miss Nancy our dry cleaner and find out do you have a rack that i could just take clothes from because girl if you do like help me out i would like to see this rack unclaimed freight do you remember those ads paul kind of (laughs) here in like the 70s and 80s there was always these ads on tv would go unclaimed freight i don't know if it was if it was a national ad but it's definitely here in texas Kevin, regardless of her marital status, seemed intent on reconnecting with her. I agree with you. Definitely. (laughs) It took a long time for the fact that she was divorced to come out. And actually, in very, very subtle ways, we learned a little bit more about Sophie. Like, no money in a way that this was some sort of trick her mom taught her to go get the unclaimed clothes at the dry cleaner for wardrobe. It's not something you brag about. Those are her words, wasn't it? I mean, I don't know how many episodes we have left with them. Kevin is living large in the future. He's got a lot of money and a beautiful home and all this stuff. So to know that Sophie comes from a place where she was literally dressing herself from unclaimed clothes at the dry cleaner, that will be an interesting thing to find out. It's like I've been watching Unbreakable, Kim Schmidt. Fascinating turn of events, right? See how it all turns out. What did you think? I mean, come on, Paul. The Valentine. You loved this whole thing. You loved the walking in the in, was, in the winery. You were about it. You were like the vineyard. The, the, the car. The, the car. You you were in it. So All right. come on. Okay. So I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff. Oh, but you're I, not? I will, you. I will talk about the Valentine, though, because if you think about that, that thing, which was the only aspect of this episode's flash forwards that are that's important at all. He meant flashbacks, but yeah. Yes, flashbacks. When they were babies. Um, Kevin has been noted for his attempts at the grand gesture in order to wow or woo a lady. This is like the biggest, no, it's the smallest grand gesture possible, right? I would say it's the most private grand gesture possible. It's just this thing that he's been keeping, in his, he says, in his wallet forever. It'd be like 40 years is what we figured out. Because I think they're like 47 in the future. Yeah. So, or even older. Shit, are they 50? No, because it's only four years from now. And How old are we? And they're, they're a smidge younger than us. Okay, 47 so. I think was right. So I'm um, like, wait, how old am I? <laughs> Paul loves it when I act like that. I mean, it's just this piece of paper. Yeah. Right? Right. It's the Valentine for any of you who did not see this scene because you were like folding laundry. But how, I mean, how could you top that? You know, you could order all the all the emu rides and blimps and, and roller coasters in the world and that, that wouldn't Hollywood matter. Hollywood Bowl with a legend. Yes. Right? John Legend None of that singing. would matter as much as just this one personal little thing of all the moments 
in this whole show. <laughs> anything that got me close to shedding a single masculine tear. That was as close as we got because it just was like, wow, he finally had the the time, the place, the person, the the, the, the Valentine. The Valentine. He had everything. And he'd finally become that person that was worthy of this other person, Sophie, who who was already <laughs> who she needed to be. She'd been that person a long time. Yeah. So finally, our character, the one character that we've been following, Kevin, obviously, this is us, the doy, right? The Pearsons. Um, <laughs> uh, he he got there. So yeah, yeah. you're so proud of him. Yeah. We have a couple listeners who have been talking to us about Kevin over the course of many years, actually, and have felt that Paul in particular has been very harsh on Kevin. So if you're listening and you ever contacted us to say, why are you so hard on Kevin? Paul had a true like Papa Bear moment where he was so utterly proud of this character and his growth i i looked at him and i was like oh wow that reminds me of like luke and lorelei from gilmore girls where luke has carried around the horoscope that she gave him in his wallet and it's when he says i'm all in to her is when he, when she sees the horoscope he's like looking at me and he like can't even hear my analogy <laughs> <laughs> because he was like, that was I, the, I won't hear it. That was the most romantic thing I've ever seen. Like he was so touched by it. And I want those those listeners who have been so wanting you to see Kevin for who he was to really know like he came around. Paul did it. He completely came around. Or Kevin did it, however you want to look at it. But both Paul and Kevin to came together. It was a team effort. <laughs> it was because of Paul's tough love. <laughs> Exactly. All these years of not giving him praise. And now, finally, it was wonderful. Now, you were very upset, however, with Sophie, with the herbal essence biz, with the Howard hair smell. Well, I think she, I think she just wigged out. That's all. It was all of a sudden, all of a sudden, very real. You know, something that she had been burned by. Yeah. You know, and, and didn't want to go back to. And it wasn't, wasn't so much the hair comment it was just more like all of a sudden she just realized where she was and what she just allowed herself to get swept up into and maybe even as for as much as kevin <laughs> had his ears up and was on the prowl for sophie the whole time she was coming there she must have been thinking how am i going to deal with kevin you know is it going to wind up with me you know, climbing on top of him in, in his in his room. How about is it going to end up with me reaching into his breast pocket of his coat and getting the room key and buzzing herself into his room? And if it didn't include those things, then all of a sudden it just like hits you when he says that weird thing. And all that just becomes like the excuse basically to be like, well... I never, and then, and then. Okay, I'm going to back it up just a little bit because I have a little, a slightly different take on that. I think the whole herbal essence thing and the way that her hair, quote, smelled in that moment, because, because as she says, it didn't smell that way. It actually wasn't. It was a complete figment of his imagination. She uses a completely different shampoo now and it doesn't smell the same. So if you're smelling my hair and you smell what I smelled like when we were 15, this is a problem because then you don't see me as anything different as when we were 15 and I have grown and changed and like whatever we're doing in this like second chance life together, 
you can't be doing this based on when we were 15 like that. Now, here's the thing, though. But it's the Valentine who gets her. So it's the seven-year-old love that really, like, bowls her over. Now, granted, it's the keeping the Valentine that whole time. But, I, I mean, I'm with you mm. that it was like, hang on a minute. Like, but you want him to love you for 47-year-old you, right? <laughs> because, you know, the fact that he remembered the herbal essence and stuff, it was like, oh, this it was tricky. That was a whole tricky moment between all of them because you could see that push and pull. She wanted the nostalgia of that Valentine and the history that came with it. But in the moment in that bed, she wanted no history of everything that had happened. She wanted to be having this fresh start with him. But it was like, maybe it's like you can't escape your history. Maybe that's what the Valentine was. And maybe it's not all herbal essence moments. It's also, he loved you when he was seven years old. Good call. It's also tricky. But she, but she came around on it, right? Mainly yeah. because of what Rebecca said, I think, of, of her talking her into the whole, <laughs> you actually love each other. Y'all love each other. Exactly. I mean, I don't have a lot more to say about that episode because nothing else really matters. The fact that he ends up with Sophie yeah. and there's some springboard that can propel them. You know, they live hard to romance sort of lives. You know, if she's a traveling nurse and he is doing the, his nonprofit, he's working in Hollywood, he might have other gigs here and there, Georgia, Europe, wherever. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to just like snap together like Legos right away on this true but the fact that she's a nurse is going to play so beautifully into i think everything with rebecca certainly her compassion and her her empathy her, her medical knowledge is going to come into play we have several nurses in our family and man when there's a medical emergency they are called upon <laughs> for for their brains you know so i mean you really couldn't pick someone who, who was going to be a better match for all that's coming for kevin that we already know is coming for kevin you know like yeah him becoming the caretaker, apparently, which, you know, that is so tricky because of that family meeting. You know, first it's going to be Miguel and then it's going to be Kate making the medical decisions. And we know in the future that she's actually living at Kevin's. In Pennsylvania or wherever the right. cabin is. So. You know, it, it is in Pennsylvania. That's all very tricky. Now, we're guessing because the next coming episode. Miguel. Miguel, I think, is going to tell beginning to end. I think we're going to see Miguel pass his story coming to a completion because then the one after that is called something like family meeting. And I think that is going to be, we got to reshuffle like Miguel was first, Kate was second. That's the plan. But now Miguel's not here. So mm -hmm. what's the plan? Where's she going to live? Who's going to take care of her? I think we're going to see like a full reshuffle of how this is all going to work. And that's when she ends up, I think over with Kevin who she thinks is Jack. So just to add that to the, <laughs> to the board, right? Well, and not to be crass, but Kevin's, likely paying for whatever standard of care she's receiving above right medicare or whatever i don't know how you're in that situation and be like and i don't get a vote well, i mean i don't know how paul does that maybe kevin's like whatever <laughs> i just write the check well i think the whole deal is that again going back to the rebecca's wishes she said very clearly she said this is your mother of sound mind telling you who i want to be making the decisions so i, I will always go back to that family discussion and be like man she was clear there you're right there's there's how do you argue it later you can't that's why rebecca did it unless kate comes back later and says i know this is what mom said but i need help I well need there, there has to be someone there 24 7 and kate can't do that 
from California. From California or with kids who are still pretty young. And, and you know, we have Jack with who is blind. She has her hands full. I don't I think it would be very like difficult to do all this. But God, Kevin, I never really think too hard about the fact that Kevin does live in Pennsylvania and the fact that his twins must live still out in California with Madison. What a tricky situation the future is going to look like. I can definitely say that. So all in all, though, I'm very happy that this conversation about Kevin and who is love is is just done. They need to not mess around with this anymore. You said Randall's story you think is pretty complete. I do. I would like this to be like, okay, so now you see the puzzle pieces, whether we get to see it completely finished, like we see a Sophie and Kevin wedding. I don't know if there's going to be some sort of montage, like kind of like six feet under of like, and here's what happened to finish it out. But they've talked about having a movie that would maybe be a couple of years away and stuff like that. I don't know, like in four or five years, they could pick it up in 2027 or whatever, you know, and go from there. So tricky business. It's all tricky business. They won't, they won't bet. They won't put story that they need to finish telling, that they absolutely need to finish telling at stake. On the hopes of a movie. Right. Right. Something that people are getting for free now. Right. Although, but look at Downton Abbey. Here comes another movie coming out. So, But that show, yeah, okay. I don't know. I mean, look at X-Files. They continued the story. They 100% continued the story with the movie. Look at Veronica Mars. They 100% continued the story with the movie. They said it's a possibility. You know very well no one's walking away from money. So if, if any fans are clamoring for it, they'll do something. Maybe it'll just be on Netflix or something like that. Maybe it won't be a in-the-theater type movie. I'm going to hold out some potential. So so to that end, they don't necessarily, like they can leave a couple things on the table to show if they want to, you know? Yeah. They can. Happy to close the book on Kevin's love like mm. <laughs> Done. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Please just get married or whatever you're doing. Let's see more about your nonprofit. Let's see more about you transitioning into being a caretaker for your mom. These are the things I want to see Kevin doing, you know? I want to see him continuing to be a dad. Like, I don't need to see any more. Like, please let there not be any more, like, jerking of whether it's going to be Sophie or not. Like, no more, no more, no more. Yeah, I think it's going to be relatively smooth sailing for the Pearson kids for the rest of the the, the, the series. I think it's all going to be Rebecca, Rebecca, Rebecca at this well, point. Well, Miguel, then the reshuffle, and then everybody's in a different position for those last two episodes. Oof, my heart is definitely aching for this family. I don't. I think it's going to be smooth sailing for a short period of time because then they're going to have to deal with their their mom in a way that's. When you say smooth sailing, you just mean in their small slice of their personal lives. Yeah, I mean, no one's dying, sailing. no one's divorcing, no one's getting born of or, the children. Or maybe if no one's getting born, maybe I mean people are getting born in very normal, boring ways. <laughs> um, Deja's pregnant in the future. We know that. Right. That's all fine. It, um, it's, it's, uh, they showed us these years because they made the best story. And I, I want to think that they're not going to show us any more of that stuff because it, it just doesn't rise to the point of being interesting enough to tell us anymore. You know, this part is Rebecca's story. This is Caroline. And this is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on apple itunes or spotify or amazon or wherever you listen to podcasts a high rating helps other people find this podcast and enjoy it thanks for listening 
Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.